Wonderful to be here. I, I was working at, I think, this is only my third time in Meltboss since the end of the 412 conference in September. Can you believe it? So I'm more a visitor than most of you guys. <laughs> but it is wonderful to be here. Um, and we're in a new year, new start. Who, who made a New Year's resolution? Who's failed it already? <laughs> that seems to be the thing, new year, new resolutions. And I'm going to be talking about change uh, a little bit this morning. And New Year's resolutions I don't think are a bad thing, necessarily. Um, but often we, in our attempts to change, I think there's something innate within man that wants to change. We, we want to get better, you know, we want to improve. Um, Physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it may be. You know, I wanted to improve that. I went to the local bookshop. I said to the assistant, can you tell me where the self-help section is? She said I could, but that would defeat the whole purpose. (laughs) But self-help is a massive industry, isn't it? Books, videos, TV shows, self-help, self-help. And you know what I realized over the years in my... 50 odd years of being on this planet, I can't help myself very much at all. In fact, I get in my own way. I'm I'm usually my greatest hindrance. I remember preaching at a men's meeting, and we were preaching about David and Goliath. You know, I want to go and slay some giants, you know, and we get all excited as men. Yeah, we're going to slay some giants. We're going to slay some giants. And then you turn around and you discover the biggest giant is you. It's true, right? And one of the hardest things for, for us sometimes is to accept I'm the biggest problem. You know, in marriage, you know. You know, I've sat with so many couples, I've probably done it myself. Can't you just fix my wife? No, your wife isn't the problem. You are. And to, to accept that need for change is a big thing. And we do all need to change. But the foundation on which we change and the power by which we change is important. Because if we want to change, we want to be successful at it. We do want to change. But how do we want to change and how do we achieve it? I love what Jesus said to his apostles just before he he was arrested and crucified in John 14 from verse 16. And he's saying, you know, um, if you ask anything of me, I'll do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. He's giving them these last instructions before he leaves them. And they're a bit anxious because Jesus is leaving them. And he says, but I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, he says in verse 18. I will come to you. And so I think some people in kind of a, a, a religious attitude or, or, or sometimes without fully understanding the power of God in our lives is we think we have to do to make all the effort that it's up to us to change. And we have to put in the effort, make every effort, the gospel says, to add things to your faith. But no matter how much effort I put in, I can't do it alone successfully. 
So I've got to understand I need help, and I've been given help. And the other thing is the foundation on which I change. You know, one of my big bugbears, one of my big frustrations of being in the church for so many years is um, when there are testimonies. And you know the kind of testimony, I mean, where some guy gets up and he says, I, I used to be a gangster. I could beat anybody up. I could drink more, more alcohol and take more drugs and sleep more with, with more women than any of you. And I did this and I did this. And, I, and he talks for about 45 minutes on how, how extraordinarily bad his life was. And then he says, and then I got saved. And? It's like, what happened before you met Jesus is irrelevant. It's what happened after you met Jesus that counts. Because that moment, it is, a, it is an end, but it's also a beginning. When you met Jesus is not the end of the story. In one sense it is, because it's that moment you go from death to life. And in Hebrews 10, this is an incredible scripture that sounds like a bit mind-twisting. But it's talking about Jesus, Hebrews 10 from verse 14. For by a single offering, that is his death on a cross, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He has already perfected you if you're in the process of being made more perfect. Does that sound a bit like... And what it is, is I want to change not in order to earn God's approval. I want to change because I have God's approval. I'm still in the process and I'm an old dog. It's hard to teach me new tricks. I've been married 27 years. I still want to become a better husband for my wife. Not in order, you know, when, when we first met, I wanted to do things so that she would love me. Now I want to do things because she loves me. Yeah? And that, in many ways, is a greater motivation. It's a more sustainable motivation. And I have to say, in my relationship with Jesus, it hasn't always been about me wanting to follow him. Sometimes it's been about what he can do for me. Sometimes it's about can he change circumstances to help me rather than can he change me to deal with my circumstances. In fact, this week I celebrate 30 years of coming to South Africa. I came for one year. And the scary thing is my eldest daughter a week ago landed on the Isle of Man. She's gone there for one year. And I'm a little bit nervous. Is that going to turn in? Stop nodding. <laughs> and I'd, I'd served Jesus for many years. But up until that decision, things like what job I did, what studies I did, what I did with my money and my possessions and my spare time were about what I wanted. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be wealthy. I wanted to have a good life. And then God took hold of me and I realized, no, no, it's not about me trying to shift the world to meet my needs. It's about me shifting to follow Jesus. 
And if you work out the maths, 30 years ago from now, January of 1994, those of you who know your history or were old enough to live it, everybody thought this, world, this country was going to end up in chaos. Do you remember? Just before the first democratic elections, is there going to be civil war? There's at the very least going to be violence. People say, Mike, you're crazy. I often say I think I was the only white guy trying to get into the country. So many people, so many white people were saying, this is the end for us. We have to go elsewhere. And they weren't saying, Jesus, where do you want me to be? They were saying, where, where can I go that's comfortable? And God, with his, as he often does with me because I'm stubborn, he actually had to wrestle me to a point where I went, I'll go wherever. And then he said, okay, go to South Africa. It, people said, are you crazy? It's not safe. And I came to the conclusion that the safest place I can be is where God wants me to be. The best thing I can do is allow him to transform me rather than keep asking him to transform circumstance. And I want to talk about the transforming power of the Holy Spirit this morning. And I I want to make a confession. I I want to be above board. I've taken an old preach and reworked it slightly. So some of you might have heard some of this before. And I've not done it because I'm lazy, although I am. And it's not really an old preach, it's a timeless message. And I just felt the Lord wanted to encourage us that this, I I don't believe in having a theme for the year. But I was asking God as we start a new year and people's minds are often in that place of new year, new situation, new resolutions. What what has God got in store for us? Many people are making changes. Like what, what is it that he wants of us? And I really felt him impressing on my heart for me and for us as a people that we would be known as a people of the Spirit. You know, Christianity is very hard to do without the Holy Spirit. You can do it. I said it's a little bit like doing Christianity without the Holy Spirit is a little like playing rugby without hands. You can do it. But it's difficult and pointless. You get it? No hands, point, pointless. <laughs> Thought you'd like that one, James, after yours. <laughs> and living this Christian life and following Jesus, you can, you can follow all the principles. You can know all the rules. And you can, they'll benefit you to some degree, but there won't be life in them. And as a leader, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, when I meet somebody and they're they're having a difficult time or they need advice and counsel, the last thing they need is my wisdom. I'm not that smart. When we see somebody who's sick, Dylan, have you shared the story of... Come, share. It's like when we meet somebody who's sick or in need, it's like, it's okay to show empathy and love. But maybe God wants to do something more than that. I actually don't even know if they're here. David, uh, so I went and prayed for a little boy. He was at birth born with a, had a stroke at birth. So he was lame on his one side of his body. And uh, 
So when somebody asks you, you want to go pray for that, I'm always full of faith to go, yes, I want to go do that because I want to see God move. But obviously, when you see the kid, it's quite, like in the situation, it's quite a daunting thing. But I land up praying for him. And then the news, I'm going to cut it down quickly, shortly for you. But um, they went and saw, I uh, heard, uh, was, they came to my birthday party on Thursday. And they told me that they went to see the neurologist and there's 100% improvement. So praise God. It's awesome. I, if I'm living by principle and somebody says, can you pray for my, my child who's had a stroke? And you go, yeah, I just pray for peace. You know, we, we can do all. But to actually step out and say, I believe God can transform this thing. I believe that the Holy Spirit can come and do the miraculous. And we've got to be a people steeped in the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we come to the front, we stand here, and we sing some decent songs. And to be honest, our songs aren't that good. They're not. Do you know how I know? Because they're not in the top 20. <laughs> you go, but the beautiful, the beautiful, if your spirit is worshipping, it's like, they're not that good. And no offense to our worship team. You're not Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> Don't want to be good. It's good. Because there's a massive difference between being a great musician and being a worshiper. One knows all the principles of music. The other knows how to connect with the spirit. Doing church preaching. Do you all know who Tony Robbins is? The real big guy with the big teeth. Tells you how you can have your best life. and Like this self-help guru. Without the Holy Spirit, that's all I am. And I was a sales manager. I, I, I attended many sales conferences and motivational speakers. And a motivational speaker gets you revved up for about half a day. And you walk out of there like, yeah, and half a day later, you're like, Ugh. I don't want to be a motivational speaker. I don't want to be a good preacher. If the Holy Spirit isn't amongst us, there, we're just nice. And do you know that originally, if you go all the way back, the word nice originally meant simple. So if somebody calls you nice, we don't want nice preachers and nice meetings and nice tea dates and nice advice. We need the power of the Spirit to transform us and to work through us to transform others. We need the power of God in our midst. And Jesus, again, with his disciples, um, we read it in Acts 1, verse 8. He says to them this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he says, you will receive power, it isn't just for miracles, as we would 
You know, a changed life is a miracle. A saved marriage is a miracle. Healed relationships are miracles. Salvation is a miracle. And I, I like apologetics. I've taught apologetics. I've listened to a lot of apologetics. And I, and I hear so many Christians who they get really into apologetics because they want all the arguments and all the answers to all the questions about the age of the earth and evolution so that they can go against the atheists and destroy all the atheist arguments. And here's the deal. It doesn't matter how good you are at debating. You can never debate somebody into the kingdom of God because new birth is supernatural. I had a couple of Mormons come visit me a few years back. Knock on my door. Can we come in? Yes, please. They never came back. <laughs> but in our, in our discussion, and, and there was a young man I invited to, to join us because he was a very argumentative Christian who wanted to win every debate. I said, you sit and you listen and learn. Because I can destroy every argument that they have. And if I'm successful, they'll leave here as ex-Mormons. They won't leave here as born-again believers. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. In wrestling through my own sinfulness, I can wake up one morning and say, today I'm going to be the perfect Christian and I will have failed by lunchtime. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. And I need him to change me. And we never stop changing. You know, I used to have this, this thought when I was very young, that the longer that you saved, the less you're going to repent. Because you're going to be more like Jesus, right? And then I realized the opposite is true. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize how far short you fall. And when you come to him, he often starts with the really trivial things. Like, Dylan, stop doing drugs. That's the trivial stuff. And then he starts over time to get to the real stuff, like, you've got pride in your heart. You don't love me like you should. You're not putting me first in your relationship. And so we are constantly changing. Paul writes to the Philippians church, he said, I'm confident of this, that he who's begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus. And I want to say this to us, I'm confident that he has begun a good work. I look around and I praise God for the work that he's done. Before Dylan was saved and he visited Josh Jen, and I got a call, there's this couple visiting, um, can, you, can you have lunch with them? <laughs> We need to get this guy saved. <laughs> Went to the spur in Belleville, I think, yeah. And to see him going from this guy whose ambition in life was to wait for drugs to be legalized so that he could open a store selling drugs. That was your ambition in life. <laughs> and see him transformed to a guy who's high on Jesus. To see him transformed in so many ways. To see somebody who was actually quite cynical and hard. And worried about his reputation. 
And I, I, I remember watching him the one Sunday Andrew preached and threw out the net afterwards. And there's this kind of cool, I'm too cool for school drug guy like this, with his hand in the air weeping. I need Jesus! Beautiful to see how God broke him and then rebuilt him. By the power of his spirit, not the power of persuasive words, not a good preach. And so I want to touch on three ways in which the Holy Spirit will come and transform us. And some of us really need to, to latch onto some of this. Because some of us, I think, have, have settled. Some have become disillusioned. Some have given up dreams. You know, God's put dreams in hearts in people in this room. And it hasn't happened yet. And you've let go of your dreams. And it's time to pick them up again. It's time to dare to risk. So three ways in which the Holy Spirit transforms us. And the first way he transforms us from fear to faith. He takes people who are full of fear and intimidation Just like Dylan said, somebody comes and says, can you pray for my child? And suddenly you're like, oh, this is scary. I remember somebody phoning me once, my brother's just died. Will you come with me to pray that God would raise him from the dead? Yeah, I will. Going in there, seeing this dead body, laying hands on it. Did God raise him from the dead? No. Was that my failure? I don't know. But even if it was, I'm going to try again. You know why? why? Is there anybody here raised somebody from the dead? Do you know why most of you haven't? Because you've never tried. There's only reason. I know people who've been raised from the, for real. Peter Chandra, our good friend in Zambia, his wife died. He prayed for her. She, she, she rose from the dead. He was telling us this story. I said, this is amazing. Next time I saw her, I said, Rose, tell me. From your po- tell me the story from your perspective. She said, I was so angry. <laughs> but we, we can be people filled with fear and intimidation. The world hates us. We're not popular. We're afraid for our reputation and our jobs and our standing. And our fa- The disciples were full of fear. When Jesus was arrested, they all ran away. Peter denied him three times. Peter was such a wuss. Right? I can imagine, I can kind of, em- I empathize with him completely actually because I can be a wuss. But, the third time he denied Christ wasn't to a soldier, wasn't to a judge, wasn't to a person of authority and influence. He even denied knowing Jesus to a young maidservant, a person of no influence, a person whose word could not even be accepted as testimony in a court of law. And he was so full of fear, he even denied Christ to her. And a few weeks later, stood in front of thousands and thousands of people 
that said, you crucified Christ, you need to repent. And 3,000 people saved him one day. He went from fear to faith. What was, what was different about Peter? What was different? How many self-help books had he written or read? How many seminars had he been to? Uh, how many hours of counseling had he had? No, he'd spent time with Jesus and he'd been filled with the Holy Spirit and it transformed him completely from a man of fear to a man of faith. God needs a generation of people who will not be intimidated, who will not be silent. And if you're anything like me sometimes, I'm going to be brave, I'm going to be brave, I'm going to be brave. And that can work to a degree for a certain time. To, but you know what I need? Holy Spirit, come. You know, I've done a lot of studies about uh, where scripture talks about people being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And there's this uh, theology of teaching that says the, 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 the sign of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is that you speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That, as I've looked, that's not explicitly so in scripture. I can see how people arrive there, but it doesn't explicitly say that. Everybody does But you know what you do see? That wherever people are filled with the Holy Spirit, boldness comes upon them. Boldness. We need a bold people. We need a people who aren't afraid to share the gospel. And I have to say, we've we've got guests from Scandinavia. They'll tell you, it is still so much easier to share the gospel. You think that people are hostile to the gospel here? Go to Europe. Go to Scandinavia. Am I right? We need people who are bold and courageous, full of faith. We may be hated, but I'd rather be hated by the world and loved by Jesus. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to come and convict the world. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to come and remind us of the words of Jesus. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to demonstrate who he is, not just with words, but with actions. We need to be transformed from fear to faith. Another way in which we need to be transformed is from famine to fruitfulness. Sometimes we, and I felt this sometimes, like a barrenness in my life, a barrenness in my worship, a barrenness in my service, a a barrenness in my Christian life. It just feels barren. It feels fruitless. It feels like, does anybody know what I'm talking about? You're really working hard and seeing no fruit. And in transforming myself, it's like, God, help me. I remember as a young man, you, you probably won't believe this because, you know, I'm, I'm so awesome. <laughs> I used to have the worst temper you could imagine. I would, get, I would see red and I would just, I would just lash out. And I got, into fight, I got into fights when I, was, when I was 10, 11 years old. 
I, I'd, I'd get into fights with, with grown men and just lose it. And my parents and the wisdom said, Mike, if you don't deal with this, it's going to kill you. It's going to destroy your life. And I tried really hard to get rid of my bad temper. And you know what? It didn't work. Because I was trying to change from the outside in. And when scripture talks about transformation, the, the, the Greek word it used when it says be, be transformed into likeness of Christ or be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it, it uses a word which is the equivalent of metamorphosis. It's the change of your very nature. And I realize it's no good me just trying to not have a bad temper. What I needed was more of the Holy Spirit. I needed the fruit of the Spirit more evident in my life. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And patience and kindness. And I need those things to be ever present and growing in my life. And I can't do it through my own efforts. There's a biblical principle of transformation, which is to get rid of something, but put something else in its place. And too often when we're trying to change, we just try and get rid of something. I, I did a, a big study on addiction recently. And all of the research and all of the evidence on addiction is, if you just try and stop your addiction, you've not got much chance of success. You have to replace it with something. And do you know what they say, what they say actually? They say, whatever, whatever kind of therapy you go to for your addiction... If you get involved in a 12-step program, your chances of success go through the roof. And the 12-step program is basically uh, like Alcoholics Anonymous, which was started by a Christian. And it starts with this. I realize I am powerless in myself and I surrender to God. And it may not be Drugs or alcohol, it could be anger, it could be unforgiveness, but there could be things in us that are causing barrenness. And if you just try and work harder and harder and harder, you won't get more and more fruitful, you'll just get more and more tired. And then you'll give up because nothing you do works. Anybody ever been there? And this isn't a message of make no effort. This is a message of cooperate with the Holy Spirit. But he takes us from barrenness to fruitfulness. From famine to fruitfulness. And for some of you, you feel like, even in terms of, we make ministry a professional fault. No, we all have a ministry. We all have something that God has called us to do, a way to represent him on this earth. And some of you, as I said earlier, have got dreams and visions and callings that God has called you to do. And you're getting disillusioned because it seems so barren. Seems so fruitless. And I believe that this year, as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to come and transform us at the very core of who we are, we will see a fruitfulness that we desire. We see that in Genesis, the earth was formless and void and the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters and when God spoke, life came. Mary, it says the Holy Spirit 
came and hovered over Mary. And life came where there was previously no life. The Holy Spirit is in the business of bringing life where there was no life. Of bringing fruit where there was famine. So he wants to change us from fear to faith. And he wants to change us from famine to fruitfulness. And then the third way in which he wants to transform us is from failure to function. You know, it's very hard sometimes to listen to preachers and see them as real, fallible human beings. Because we love to tell you all our stories of when God used us powerfully. We don't often tell you all the times we've failed. I can preach on failure. I'm an expert on it. I have failed so many times. I failed morally. I failed spiritually. I failed relationally. I failed as a follower. I failed as a leader. And it is good to acknowledge our failings. But as a people, can we get comfortable with the fact that we're going to fail? Can we be comfortable that people around us will fail? And when they do, let's not condemn or judge or point fingers or reject, but let's allow the Holy Spirit to come and transform that, that failure into something amazing. One of my favorite stories is Moses. Moses thought he was a somebody, yeah? Grew up in Pharaoh's household. And he had this, he had this thing in his heart. He knew he was a Hebrew. And he saw his people suffering. And he, something inside him, he didn't fully understand it. But I think something inside him knew that he was called to do something to help his fellow Israelites, his fellow Hebrews. And so when he saw two of them being abused, he punched a guy because he was trying in his own effort to bring deliverance to his people and he killed the guy. One punch. Must have been quite a dude, eh? But then he realizes, I messed up. I've done it in my own strength. And now I'm petrified. And off he ran into the desert. At 40 years old, from thinking he was a somebody, he now spends 40 years thinking he's a nobody. My favorite joke, I might have told you this before. Even in the desert, God provides for him, gives him a wife. Does anybody remember what his wife was called? Who said that? Who Who gets the brownie point? Yep, Zipporah was his wife. He called her Zippo for short. Because while he was a big dude, she was a little lighter. (laughs) Thank you. I'm here all week. But for 40 years, he learns he's a nobody or thinks he's a nobody. He's an absolute failure. And then God appears to him. And he says, I'm calling you. And if you read the account of Moses in the burning bush, five times Moses says, I can't because of this. I can't because of this. I'm disqualified because of this. And God says, enough. I'm sending you. At 80 years old, he goes 
and sees his people set free and leads them out of captivity. And so for 40 years, he thinks he's a somebody. For the next 40 years, he thinks he's a nobody. And then for the final 40 years of his life, he sees how God can take nobodies and make them somebodies. He takes people who have failed. He takes a Jonah. Jonah is my story. You know, when I was about 14, I had prophetic words. God wants to call you into ministry. He wants to call you to be an elder. And I'm going, no, you've got to be kidding. You've got to be an idiot to want to be an elder. I still kind of almost believe that. (laughs) Unless God's called you, you don't want to be an elder. And I tried everything else and everything else. And I ran away from my calling. And God basically had to make me drown, drowning in debt and all kinds of things before I said, okay, God, what will you have me do with my life? And there are people sat here this morning and you feel like you've failed. You feel like you've been disqualified. And the Holy Spirit wants to come and says, you know what? Nobody is permanently disqualified. Nobody is permanently disqualified. Because I'm in the business of transformation. And no matter what your failure, no matter where you've fallen short, the Holy Spirit is in the business of restoration, reconciliation. The Holy Spirit comes to transform. The Holy Spirit is not about just so we can have tingly little vibes and and, and weird meetings where people fall over. The Holy Spirit, his role is to continue to transform us until the day of Jesus Christ. It's to transform us continually and increasingly into the image of Jesus. The role of the Holy Spirit is to, to it's almost the picture that scripture uses. Do you want to come here? Uh, typecasting, good Christian boy here. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside and points and says, that's where Jesus is. Go to him. Go that way. And if you're walking this way, he says, no, 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 that way. That way. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit reminds us of the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Why? Because he wants us to be more like Jesus. And then he wants us to be agents of change. That not, does he ch- not only does he change us, but we become agents of change and change those around us. I want to see my brothers and sisters become more like Jesus. And I want to spend time with people who are more like Jesus than I am so that I can imitate them. I've often said this, you know, being an Englishman, um, I tend towards being a little cynical and, you know, I know that you might find that hard to believe. You've heard of the five love languages, right? Well, there's another one. There's a sixth love language. Where where I grew up, your love language was sarcasm and insults. So I'm not the softest, most emotional, sensitive guy. But do you know who I love hanging out with? Mervis. Because when I'm with Mervis, 
and he starts talking about Jesus and he starts crying. And years ago, I would have said, ah, get over yourself, you softy. But now it's like, there's a softness and a sensitivity that I, I want to become, and I'm going to be like people I spend time with. I've said to you often, scientists have proven that married couples begin to look like each other the longer they're married. Because as you sit across from each other and you're talking, you, you subconsciously imitate each other's facial movements. You've got a similar lifestyle, a similar diet. And so over time, you get to look like each other more and more, which is why, why Ivan's getting better looking every day. <laughs> So if we become like those we spend time with, I want to spend time with people who are more like Jesus than I am in a, in a particular area. But guess who else I want to spend time with? I want to spend time with the Holy Spirit, who is another help. He's somebody just like Jesus, who's been sent to me to help me run my race and become more like him. And for so many of us, in the busyness of life, maybe even in, uh, maybe in some ways familiarity has bred contempt, maybe uh, hope deferred has made the heart sick, maybe we've had uh, challenges and difficulties or failures, whatever it may be, or a season of barrenness, and we've, we've sidelined the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this morning, I want to urge us that it's time to allow the Holy Spirit back in his rightful place individually and corporately. You know, preaching, so many preachers go, oh, I'm going to be spirit-led now. What they mean is they haven't prepared properly. Being spirit-led is finding the vein of where the spirit wants to go and following that. And I want to do that this morning because we need that. And corporately, the benefit of that is when we see it in others, and when we experience it, it helps us to incorporate that into our daily lives. But also it's necessary that we do it in our daily lives so that when we come together corporately, there's an overflow of that. This meeting is not to give you your shot in the arm to get you through the week. This meeting on a Sunday should be where the overflow of what the Spirit's been doing in Ivan and, and Steve and, and Chart in the week and the rest of us overflows and we all are in that flow. And church isn't about rules and systems and songs. And The Holy Spirit is in the transformation business. I've got so far to go. I am so unlike Jesus in so many ways. And I need him all the time. Because if I don't have him, I don't stand still, I go backwards. This Christian walk is like walking up a down escalator. If you try and stand still, you end up going backwards. This morning, the Lord wants to minister to people, to transform. From fear to faith. Failure to function. And famine to fruitfulness. You know where it starts? It starts 
but all of us in the same place. It starts the day we meet him for the first time. It starts that day that Jesus reveals himself as real and we acknowledge his lordship and surrender and say, come fill me with your spirit so that I can do your will, not my own. It starts the day we surrender and give our lives to Jesus. And without that, all we're doing is playing church. Without that, all we're doing is being religious. All we, without that, all we are is a self-improvement seminar. And you can never improve yourself enough. You can never become good enough for God. But God is good enough that when he lives in you, you become acceptable. And then he begins the process of making holy those that he's already been made perfect. And if you're here this morning and you've never made that decision to surrender to Jesus, maybe you've done church. Maybe you've prayed. Maybe you've sang songs. Maybe you've done all the religious things, but you've never surrendered your, your life to Jesus and said, come, I want to live for you, not for me. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to do it this morning. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands in a moment. And that might be scary. It might be intimidating. You might be shy. You might wonder what everybody else will think. But I can guarantee you, nobody here would think less of you for raising your hand. Because we've all had to make that decision to surrender at some point. And there won't be judgment. There'll only be celebration. And so I want to ask you this morning, if you know you've never surrendered to Jesus and allowed him to start that journey of transforming you in that new life, can you just raise your hand right now where you are? I would love to pray with you. I pray that you, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and fill you and start this incredible journey with Jesus of being changed from one degree of glory to another. Just, I want to give you a moment. Anybody here who needs to surrender to Jesus? Okay. That's okay? If you, awesome. I didn't... Wonderful. Oh, yay! Well done. That's amazing. That's amazing. So you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to ask some of you to move from fear to faith. And just a couple of you just gather around the people who've responded. And I want you to pray for them that they will, be, they will have an incredible experience of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come and begin this good work in them. Friends who came with them, come on. No fear, just, just faith. That is awesome. And then while that's happening... I felt a real burden this morning. And I don't want to I don't want to name names or point people out, but God was almost showing me like certain faces this morning of people. I wouldn't say you've backslidden, you've not rejected Christ, but there's a, a fruitlessness. There's a sense of failure. There's a sense of almost having not given upon Jesus, but given upon your call. 
and your dreams. And this morning, God is resurrecting visions, dreams, giftings, and callings. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to minister to you in power this morning to reawaken what has gone into hibernation, to resurrect what has died, to bring hope and a sense that you are not a failure, but there's a vital part for you to play as you function in what God has given you within the body of Christ. I believe the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit wants to do that in power amongst a number of people this morning. And if that's you, can you stand where you are? Because I would love to minister to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Like, how many times do I dare dream and be disappointed? How many times do I have to stand up to a message like this and then nothing happens? God is bringing fruitfulness. He's not called you to a desert. He takes us through deserts. He doesn't call us to live in them. I believe this year, as you stay close to the Holy Spirit, and it's not about, even about hearing the elders. I know you've, you've got a desire to submit to authority, and that's beautiful. But the Holy Spirit is going to whisper things to you. He's going to show you things. Anybody else? I honestly believe. I honestly believe. That as we partner with the Holy Spirit this year, we are going to see some incredibly remarkable things in our lives. Incredibly remarkable things. Things you have dared not hope for are going to come to pass. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you. For God has anointed you to preach good news to the poor. To set the captives free. Come Holy Spirit.